Welcome to the Candida Chronicles with our host, Michael Biamonte, Certified Clinical Nutritionist. In this podcast, Michael will answer your questions and reveal the shocking truth that the cause of most chronic ailments is not what you've been told. The source is Candida, a yeast overgrowth which, when it becomes systemic, can cause all sorts of seemingly unrelated ailments such as chronic fatigue syndrome and even weight gain. For more information on how Michael can help you, please visit healthtruth.com, that's health-truth.com, or phone his office at 212-587-2330. And now, without further ado, Michael Biamonte. And hello everyone, this is Michael Biamonte, Clinical Nutritionist, with another episode of the Candida Chronicles. Today we're going to be discussing Candida and Magnesium. Magnesium has a very important, interesting role to play in the subject of Candida. One of the key issues we have is the fact that Magnesium is largely responsible for the detoxification of many of the byproducts of candida. Uh, Byproducts of candida would include different types of ethanols, uric acid, ammonia, acetylaldehydes, which are neurotoxins, mycotoxins, etc. Unfortunately, magnesium is responsible for the detoxification of these substances, or at least it plays a vital role as does the element molybdenum play a vital role in detoxifying the alcohols that are associated with candida. And the difficulty uh, becomes that when you have an overgrowth of candida, it interferes with magnesium absorption in the intestinal tract. One of the more common mineral patterns that we see in people who have candida is they'll tend to have a low magnesium level, very elevated copper, low molybdenum, and sometimes elevated mercury. And this is a a bad pattern because as a mineral pattern, it amounts to a suppression of thyroid function, which also would, of course, naturally help the body detoxify all the various toxins that are produced by candida. So when we look at magnesium and candida, we also find that a lot of the symptoms people have of candida can be related or assigned to a magnesium deficiency. Candida is known to cause constipation. This constipation also is known to be a symptom of magnesium deficiency. People with candida very often are anxious, have different types of anxiety, which also could be contributed to magnesium deficiency. People with candida tend to wake up frequently at night. Some people attribute that to cortisol elevation, but it could also be attributed to deficient magnesium because this has been referred to as type 2 insomnia. Type 1 insomnia has been referred to as a calcium deficient insomnia, which is where the person has difficulty falling asleep. 
Type 2 insomnia is a magnesium deficiency where the person falls asleep and wakes up frequently. So again, this symptom could be as a result of candida causing magnesium deficiency as opposed to the candida itself. You know, it's a very funny thing when you look at cause and effect of something. Um, you can look at something and you say, well, it, this is the cause of it, but you could always ask why. So it's, if you're looking at candida and you're saying, well, candida causes brain fog, uh, that's, that would be fine for some people. Other people would ask the question, well, why does it cause that? And the reason why it causes that is because of the production of aldehydes and all the various toxins that magnesium and molybdenum are responsible for cleaning up. So if magnesium or molybdenum are deficient, or if the metabolism of these elements is impaired, then uh, the body is not going to be able to detoxify, and the symptom that results is the brain fog. So here, the brain fog is attributed to candida, but more exactingly, if we look at it, we find that the brain fog is actually a symptom more attributed to the magnesium deficiency that candida may be causing. So it's always interesting to look at things from the viewpoint of cause and effect because you can get some interesting data when you do that and you pull the string to find out what the real information is or what the real cause is. Um, it's also interesting that magnesium is responsible for protecting us from a great deal of cardiovascular illness. Primarily, it's because magnesium is a quintessential element that helps the heart beat correctly. Heart attacks are largely attributed to magnesium deficiency. And if you think from the viewpoint that candida causes magnesium deficiency, you then can draw a line to say, well, then therefore candida will cause cardiovascular illness. Likewise, if we were to say that candida may cause certain deficiencies of the element copper, and we know that copper deficiency occurs in various malignancies, we're also then saying that therefore candida can cause different types of malignancies. It's interesting that the, as a, as a side note, the type of malignancies you find with copper deficiency tend to be the faster growing type and the more aggressive type. So nonetheless, when we look at from this viewpoint, we also see candida indirectly being involved with cardiovascular disease, particularly arteriosclerosis, because of its, of its role in regulating calcium. Uh, very typically, the way we develop a calcium um, buildup or a calcification in the blood vessels, which are also sometimes known as plaque or clots, is that we get a calcium buildup there. Well, the question always becomes, why does calcium build up there? Typically, when there is damage to the arterial wall or the blood vessel wall, 
fibrogen rushes in to seal it. Fibrogen is a is the is the same sticky protein material that you see forming when you have a cut. The fibrogen forms there as part of the clotting mechanism to seal things off. Well, fibrogen also will build up in the inside of an artery or a blood vessel if there's any type of damage there. As fibrogen builds up there, calcium then becomes attracted and gets stuck there as if the body is trying to form some kind of cement to seal things off. The next constituent becomes cholesterol. As cholesterol comes by, it attracts or is attached to the calcium fibrogen plaque that's there, and this is what's known as a plaque or a blocked artery. We can have the same mechanism occur, minus the damage to the blood vessel wall or lining, if we have a deficiency of magnesium. Because magnesium is responsible for keeping calcium soluble and in solution. And when we don't have enough magnesium, the calcium will drop out of solution. It will attach itself to the blood vessel lining. And here we go again with the formation of a plaque or a clot. And we're back to the cardiovascular disease issue. We can look at many magnesium-related problems and essentially come to the same conclusion. Uh, because magnesium deficiency is possible when there's a candida overgrowth in the intestinal tract, you could then literally jump the gun, so to speak, and say that any manifestation of magnesium deficiency, whether it's a simple deficiency symptom or whether it is a deficiency disease or illness, relates to magnesium deficiency and therefore relates to candida in that candida would cause the magnesium deficiency. Very simple logic. Cofactors of magnesium, the most important, are taurine, choline, vitamin B6, and to a lesser degree B1. B1 helps uh, solubilize magnesium, but if you take too much B1, you can literally drive the magnesium and the calcium right out of your tissues. Taurine is interesting because taurine is thought of as being an antispasmodic uh, amino acid. It's an amino acid which has been shown time after time in studies on children and on some adults to stop various types of seizures. So if we think of candida as a organism which could interrupt the interreaction between magnesium and taurine, we could then also conclude that it's possible candida would be causing seizures. Choline, another important of the B vitamins, which uh, performs many functions, but particularly helps to regulate um, the fat metabolism in the liver. It also regulates acetylcholine in the nervous system, which is responsible for nerve transmission. And once again, if candida would interrupt this interrelationship between these two, we end up in the same situation where manifestations of choline deficiency could 
come about due to candida. Also with vitamin B6, there are many, many functions of vitamin B6. B6 very simply helps absorption and utilization of magnesium. People who show very elevated magnesium on hair tests will show the magnesium to drop and be uh, arrive in a more normal range after taking B6. And B6, uh, outwardly, when you're deficient in it, very often causes various types of edema, particularly in the fingers and the hands. So therefore, you can see where it would be possible. You could develop edema in your fingers, in the feet, etc., due to B6 deficiency, due to having candida. Again, uh, always there are cofactors working together here, which is how I'm linking these together. It's, it's the B6 working with magnesium that would help to regulate fluid balance. It's not any of these nutrients working on their own, which singularly does it. Um, regardless of what you read in vitamin books, when you look at symptoms of vitamin deficiencies, uh, they're not really telling you the entire picture. If they did, they'd have to be giving you a course on biochemistry. But essentially, it's B6 and magnesium interacting together which regulate fluids, which therefore could uh, result in edema and fluid buildup if that relationship between the B6 and the magnesium is disturbed, which is what candida will do. Sources of magnesium are pretty abundant. Um, magnesium is one of the four macronutrients which you find in the body. Calcium, magnesium, sodium, potassium are the four macro minerals. That's the four minerals of which we have the largest amount and therefore all the other elements are referred to as trace minerals because we have trace amounts of them compared to the macro minerals. You find magnesium typically in vegetables, particularly dark green vegetables. And nuts and seeds have magnesium. Different types of beans, peas, legumes have magnesium. Black-eyed peas have always been recognized as a very high source of magnesium, as is spinach, a high source of magnesium. Unfortunately, people's diet nowadays, which has been a large part of discussion over the last 10-15 years has decayed. The standard American diet, which is known as SAD, is very low in magnesium. People existing on beer and pizza and french fries and things like this, which uh, became chic in the 80s with a lot of marathon runners and people doing this type of endurance sports, well, they eventually developed magnesium deficiency. One of the worst things you could do is be involved in heavy exercise, especially endurance exercise like running marathons or long-distance running and then develop mineral deficiencies and eventually horribly catch up to you. Not a good thing at all. The runner Jim Fix, very popular, I believe, in the 70s and the 80s. Um, Jim Fix was... a partially responsible for the running boom that occurred back then. 
Uh, for those of you who don't remember that, there's a, um, a scene of this in the movie Forrest Gump, where one of Gump's adventures in his life was to be a runner, and uh, Gump was attributed to starting the running boom that occurred in the 70s and 80s. Well, Jim Fix uh, was uh, perhaps the real-life Gump because he got a lot of attention for his long-distance running, wrote some books on the subject for newcomers, and at that time was a sort of running guru. Well, unfortunately, Jim Fix died of a heart attack, which is not the type of illness you would expect a marathon runner to die from. But when they did a, a tissue autopsy, they found his magnesium levels to be very, very low. Uh, Jim Fix wasn't necessarily someone who was known for nutrition, nutritional advice. But nonetheless, he incurred a magnesium deficiency, and I'm sure it was partly responsible for his uh, ultimate demise because magnesium is the key mineral in the body that would prevent heart attacks because magnesium as a mineral relaxes muscles. A heart attack, you could say, it would be similar to a cramp, a muscle cramp in the heart. And muscle cramps are things that are typically evidence of a magnesium deficiency. When we look at different farming methods, I think since the 50s or so, you could easily see where the nutrient content of foods has dropped over the years, over the decades. There have been different studies that have shown this. Some studies have shown this with corn, um, there was a study in particular where a, a university professor visited a, a, a cornfield every 10 years of his life and measured the amount of, of minerals and nutrients in the corn, and he found a 10% decay per decade in the corn because of farming methods, farming methods not really being the best to put minerals back in the soil. Generally, when you're dealing with artificial fertilizers, at least in those days, you were dealing with fertilizers that were more chemical, not non-organic, and didn't necessarily put the minerals back in the soil. Normally, what would happen is a cow would eat, let's say, grass. The grass has various minerals. The cow digests the grass. The cow poops the digested grass out. And those minerals return back to the soil, and it all continues to go as a cycle. But when you interrupt that and you start using fertilizers, which are not necessarily high in minerals, and when you're also dealing with, let's say, deficient soil in the first place, um, repairing this is not going to happen very easily. So it's the deficient soils that we've had for years and years which many companies just completely omit to acknowledge. 
This leads to your food being deficient in elements. Uh, certainly, food 100 years ago had a much higher nutrient content than what you would typically find today in your average supermarket food. Um, I think that even foods that are grown today organically may not have the nutrient concentration that foods had that were grown a hundred years ago. It's a funny thing if you think about this, folks, because uh, 200 years ago, probably nobody ever heard the term organic necessarily in, in the way we look at it now from our modern supermarket and health food store viewpoints. Nowadays, people go around talking about organic food. Well, 200 years ago, uh, people didn't do this because there was no such thing as non-organic food. It was all the same. Before the advent of commercial fertilizers and all these various commercial means of growing food, making food bigger, faster, etc., you didn't have the terms organic because everything was organic. Uh, to a degree, this still occurs in certain parts of the world. In, in Italy, many parts of Italy, they don't know what organic food is because they have organic food as their basis and their fundamental food, and they don't know what organic food is because they don't know a differentiation between organic and non-organic. All they have is organic. That's all they know and they really don't know much about non-organic. The soils in Italy and that whole surrounding region have been bathed in different volcanic ash for hundreds of years, and this volcanic ash is loaded with various minerals. So therefore, the food grows differently. You could think of the food as being super organic, if there was such a term, and it's very high in nutrients. This is the opposite of what we have in this country, where you're going to find many foods quite deficient in nutrients because of depletion of the soils and because the farmers are being rewarded for growing big, empty foods as opposed to foods that are nutrient-dense. Then we also introduce the subject of GMO, genetically modified foods, which have been banned in many parts of Europe, uh, of which we have many studies that show they lead to disease, and illness, and yet we have President Obama signing into law uh, an act which was dubbed or nicknamed the Monsanto Protection Act. Well, this bill essentially protects the company Monsanto that's responsible for growing the majority of the genetically modified foods from genetically modified seeds. And this bill protects Monsanto from any lawsuits that would incur over the next 10, 15, 20, 40, 50, 60, 70, however many years it is, as a result of someone claiming that they became ill due to eating Monsanto's genetically modified food. It's interesting because this is the same man in 2008 when he was campaigning as president who claimed that he was going to be all for um, labeling genetically modified food because that's been quite an argument. The argument of, of having the right to know if your food is genetically modified or not 
something that many, many, many of us have fought for. President Obama campaigned on the fact that he was going to be a champion of this. And when he was elected president, one of the first things he did was to hire people from Monsanto who had been responsible for the research of genetically modified food. And he named them to the, the FDA and to the Department of Agriculture as czars. So I would say that's, that's quite a contradiction. And I tell you this, not necessarily to dump on President Obama, but to tell you that if you're going to look for help from the government when, it's going to, when it comes to making sure that the food that your children and your grandchildren eat has a high nutrient content, that these foods are not genetically modified, that they're grown in soils that are going to give the maximum nutrients that the, the, the food could have, you're not going to look for your, to your government for any help along these lines. President Obama said he would, and he completely reneged and did a total turnaround on this. The presidential candidates that are around currently in the year 2016 on both sides of the fence, both the Republican side and the Democratic side, are all in favor of genetically modified foods. The only candidate I'm aware of who has gotten any kind of spotlight who's not in favor of genetically modified foods, uh, foods is uh, Rand. But of course, like his father, he really didn't have much of a chance of, um, of getting elected. So this leaves you in the, the hands of politicians who are definitely are not going to be at your side and are not going to give you any help at all when it comes to dealing with soils that are deficient, foods that are deficient, and foods that are genetically modified. I'm sorry, I said Rand before I met Ron Paul. Ron Paul is the only politician I know of who has spoken out about genetically modified foods. But a very funny thing that the Obamas have an organic garden at the White House. Uh, so I, I, don't know how, I don't know quite how to interpret that. At the White House, they grow organic vegetables. And this is kind of like a thing for them, I was told. But yet the president will sign into law laws that protect Monsanto and the other companies that make gen genetically modified foods. So I, I guess the moral of the story is that for the president and his entourage, an organic garden is correct, but for the rest of us, we can all eat GMOs. That's the only thing I can quite make from that. But be that as it may, um, magnesium supplements are very important in this day and age because magnesium and B-complex, along with some other trace minerals, typically molybdenum and uh, very often selenium, happen to be some of the biggest deficiencies we see when we test people. Um, many years ago, we put together this little free packet for people, and we looked at, at the time what the major deficiencies that we were finding in people via testing, we looked at what those were, and we found that the, the most common deficiencies were magnesium and B-complex. So we made up a little introductory packet for people, and these were given away free at chiropractor's offices and doctor's offices, 
And we invited the people to take a handful of these packets and take the pills in the packets every day for a week or two and then tell us if they noticed any difference. And we had tremendous feedback. People, uh, probably 90% of the people all uh, wrote down on their surveys that they noticed various improvements in their skin and their hair and their digestion and their sleep and their energy levels, et cetera, et cetera. Just from supplementing with B-complex and magnesium. And there are various forms of magnesium, of course, one can take. Um, the form that I generally prefer is glycinate. I think glycinate is probably the best absorbed and best utilized. There's also magnesium orotate, which is harder to find. Um, it absorbs into the body through different pathways. And the one thing about the magnesium orotate and where it's essential to be used is magnesium orotate will tend to be absorbed and then be delivered to the sites in the body where the mineral magnesium is the most deficient. This seems to be an unusual and hard to explain idiosyncrasy of any mineral which is in an orotate form, whether it's calcium orotate, magnesium orotate, potassium orotate, zinc orotate, whichever the mineral form is, uh, studies have shown that when the person takes the orotate form of the mineral, it seems to go to the place in the body where that mineral is the most needed and most efficient. That's a, a very good thing, of course, but no one can quite explain it. But uh, then again, there are a lot of things that we don't explain at this point in time that hopefully we will in the future. Certainly we do know that the combination of candida and foods which are deficient in magnesium and nutrients due to depleted soils, due to being genetically modified, are absolutely not a good health risk for anyone. So uh, particularly important for patients recovering from candida that they use magnesium supplements to get their magnesium levels back to battery because as I said before, the one thing you can be pretty much guaranteed is in a candida patient, you're going to find magnesium deficiency. Thank you very much for joining us today. This has been Michael Biamonte, clinical nutritionist, with another episode of the Candida Chronicles. Tune in again this Thursday for the next episode, and we will be seeing you then. That's a wrap for this episode of the Candida Chronicles featuring Michael Biamonte, certified clinical nutritionist. Michael holds a doctorate of nutropathy and is a New York State certified clinical nutritionist. He is a professional member of the International and American Association of Clinical Nutritionists and of the American College of Nutrition, and he's a member of the Scientific Advisory Board for the Clinical Nutrition Certification Board. For more information on how Michael can help you, please visit healthtruth.com, that's health-truth.com, or phone his office at 212-587-2330.